Hi, welcome to Owning Your Recovery. You made the decision to look at your life from a different perspective and realize that the destructive behavior of addiction does not serve you anymore. The grip of addiction can be strong, especially when times are tough. This podcast is created to remind you that ups and downs in life are normal and to provide you with professional and peer-related insights and support in your recovery from illness to wellness. My name is Kinga Burjan, and I'm a registered psychotherapist here in Ontario, Canada, working with Trafalgar Addiction Treatment Centres. Thank you for joining this podcast today. And my special guest today is Jay Hillier. He's a colleague. He's an addiction counsellor. He's also the founder of Relating and Recovery, a person who's also in active recovery themselves. So I'm so honoured to have you here as my guest today, Jay. It means so much to me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Kinga. Thank you. So I'm going to mention to the listeners that we have a gratitude group, all the staff, and you posted a short video on kind of like your experience of having a bad day and how you work through that in gratitude. And I thought it was such a beautiful, simple, authentic, and to the point video of how gratitude can really move someone from a a place of maybe feeling like a victim or helpless or, you know, in a negative mood to somewhere that's empowered. So I'm not sure where you want to start. I know you have (laughs) lots to share and I love talking with you, Um, but I'm not sure if you want to kind of start maybe a background of where, like how you got to this point. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like, honestly, I feel like a a bull coming out of the chute, right? Like a, like a cannonball coming out of the cannon, right? I always have a lot to share. I'm pretty excited about recovery, you know, um, you know, but it wasn't always this way, Kinga, right? Like, uh, you know, it it was, uh, it was dark and and angry and and full of despair for a lot of years. You know, I, um, you know, I, me personally, I'm the product of five treatment centers, right? I'm the product uh, of a guy who, uh, who, who didn't just come into uh, recovery, sit down and get well. That just quite frankly, wasn't my story. Right. I, I was kicking and screaming the whole way. Like I, I, I was a 99 percenter, right? Like I, I, I did everything except, uh, except just give in to the fact that I, that I suffer from this substance use disorder on such a, mm. on such a high degree. Right. I'll give you a little bit of a background is, you know, I, I, I guess I started to try somewhere along the way I, I went to go stop drinking and drugging and, uh, I couldn't. I learned in that moment I couldn't. And uh, but I, but there was this part of me, right, that was like somehow, you know, someday I can I can drink or drug like normal people, and mm. and that just was that just wasn't a possibility. But I had this obsession that I could. So every time I would uh, I would make these little attempts to get clean and sober, I would find myself uh, failing and then feeling even worse, and then I'd slip into this this guilt and shame as a result, and uh, and the, and the hole got greater, and the, the the journey got harder, and I would find myself looking up at this mountain that was just impossible to climb, mm. you know, and, and and until I was able to start looking back at how far I've come as opposed to how far I've got to go, I really didn't have much of a shot, you know. Mm. I found myself uh, uh, beating myself up. Um, you know, blaming others. Uh, I was angry. I was hurt. I was full of fear, hundred forms of fear, you know, and, and it, and it was brought to my attention at some point in the game that, um, you know, all these fears were, were under two umbrellas of, of fear of losing what I got and fear of not getting what I want. And that kind of sums up my whole early recovery journey because I'd go into these treatment centers and I'd, I'd feel like I had all this 
knowledge, right? Because I'd be this piggybacker, right? I'd get information and I'd regurgitate it out and I'd sh- say what the therapist wanted to hear. And, you know, and here's the thing for a guy like me, Kinga, I would have um, this, I had an inability to process consequence. I couldn't say, well, if I do this, this will happen. I would mm-hmm. just do it and then clean up the mess after. And then I had all these associated emotions that would be attached to that. And it was just, it was just, it was so daunting. And then I'd get into treatment and I'd say what I want to say. And all of a sudden, a therapist or a, or a counselor or a, a fellow peer client, like somebody would be talking to me. And while they're talking to me, I'm formulating in my head uh, what I want to say. So I wasn't actually retaining any information. And I would just find myself just taking this information, transferring it into the next uh, conversation that I'd have. And I, I really didn't learn nothing. Um, and then I was surprised and, uh, when I'd get back out of treatment, how I'd end up, you know, washing my socks in a Creek under a bridge once again. Right. You know, I, uh, I did a lot of time. I did a lot of, you know, my, my life was filled with, um, with, with a lot, a lot of anger, um, a lot of despair, as I mentioned. Right. And so, so when I first started to like begin this journey of recovery, when I finally got to that point where I was really able to, um, to get honest with myself. It was at that point that uh, I had to start trying new things. And I don't know, like <laughs> the truth is, is, is the most unnatural thing in the world for a guy like me is to, uh, is to embrace change. And the most natural thing is, is uh, to get high and drink. Like that's how I, that's how I coped. That was my MO for a million years. And, you know, it, it was just almost, um, uh, it was almost absurd to me uh, the extent of the different things that I was asked to do in order to get well. And it, it didn't really realize that there was a lot of different areas um, that would accumulate and build this, this circle of recovery in my life today. And one of them being uh, practicing gratitude. Um, I had no idea. Right. And, you know, uh, before I tell you what I did and how it happened and, and, and these sorts of things, I just want to mention that um, as a result of, of all the work that I've done, um, on myself and as a byproduct, you know, um, I get to live a life today that I never could have imagined, right? Never could have imagined. Um, if you had told me five years ago that I'd be sitting here with you chatting about this on a podcast <laughs> in Aaron, Ontario, like I live in Oshawa and, uh, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, I was fortunate to work at a couple treatment centers before here and I just keep on challenging myself to continue to grow and become a better, uh, a better counselor, a better, a better man, a better human being and, you know, a better, better in every aspect. I challenge myself to continue to grow and continue to be self-aware. But um, this all sort of stemmed from this experience I had when I launched um, uh, Relating and Recovery. And so Relating and Recovery was actually born out of, um, you know, I was actually grieving the loss of my mom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I remember thinking, you know, like in recovery, there was this incredible connection with other like-minded uh, alcoholics and 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 uh, addicts that I could um, that I that has, as I identify that I could just have this, you know, we didn't have to explain to each other the disease model of addiction, right? We did, you know, and, and trying to explain it to someone who wasn't wired like me was quite honestly like trying to nail Jello to a tree. I was getting nowhere fast, and and once I stopped having to do that, uh, it just I don't know it made things seem a lot easier for me. So at that point, I, I started this. I, I like the idea of, of of potentially other people who could understand what it was like losing their mother. But because of my my history and my background and where I was at, at that 
point in my recovery, it evolved very, very quickly uh, into addiction and mental health. Mm-hmm. And, um, and relating in recovery is basically what it says. You know, no matter what challenge you're facing, no matter what you're recovering from, we can all relate in that, in, in that recovery. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, the symptom, right? You know, like I found when I was sober about a year and a half, of, I was eating a whole lot of ice cream and my obsessive compulsive behaviors were very similar to that mm-hmm. when I was drinking Jack Daniels and doing cocaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so I had to start looking at all the different um, behaviors in my in my life after I actually put down the drink and the drug. Um, but I was angry, right? I was still angry. I, I was still blaming people. I was still, you know, I was still I was still uh, pointing fingers and blaming circumstances and past experiences and people that had, had wronged me. And, and I caught myself one day. Well, here's what actually happened. It was a, a, a guy that, who sponsors me. I'm in a 12-step fellowship. And a guy who sponsors me actually pointed this out. He said, you know, you're going to have to start, like, working on uh, rewiring some of your thinking, bud. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm like, talk to me. Talk to me. Tell me more, right? And he says, well, you know, maybe a gratitude list, right? He goes, I'll tell you what. For the next 30 days, I want you to write three things every morning that you're grateful for and then send them off to me. Um, but here's the challenge. I want you to make sure you never repeat these these three things again. So I got three on the Monday, a different three on Tuesday, a different three Wednesday. And, you know, it really wasn't that difficult at the beginning, right? Because, I mean, I'm grateful for community, relationships, art, passion, earth, clean air, family, health, sun. You know, my sister, my mother, my schools, my kids, my memories, my sobriety, you name it. I'm grateful for lots of things. But this was all the external stuff. And um, that was no problem. But what happened was I noticed around the week, 10-day window, I couldn't come up with anything. So I had to really dig deep. I was like, what am I grateful for? No, said that one. No, said that one. Got that one too. Hmm, What now? And so that that process of having to dig deep to find what I was grateful for without repeating myself was was the actual exercise. And so I did this every day. I did it for about a month. Um, somewhere along the way, I woke up one morning. I woke up, and this is the, what I was sharing with you in that video. Is I woke up that this morning, and I, I remember getting out of my bed, Kinga, and I was freezing mm-hmm. cold. Right, I was freezing. I was shivering. I was like, "Oh my god, it's cold in here, man!" And uh, and next thing I know is I, I get out of bed and I'm shivering, and I go to walk out of the the bedroom. And I step in the hall and I stepped on my son's Lego. I'm like, ah, man. And so I kicked the Lego and I, I, I used a few choice words, right? And I was, okay. now I was starting to feel the blood boiling, right? I was like getting a little like poor me and why is this happening? And next thing I know, I go into the kitchen. I'm about to pour myself a coffee, but I have to put some sugar in the sugar bowl. So I reach up to grab the sugar out of the, 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 the cupboard above the sugar bowl and I spilled the sugar. Now, King, I don't know about you, but like cleaning up, cleaning up sugar, like it was everywhere. And so uh, at this point, I'm like, the hell with the coffee. And I'm like, now I'm just, my blood's boiling. I'm fuming. I walk over to the front door. I'm about to open the door and I open the door. And next thing I know, there's like four feet of snow. I'm like, why me? And I'm just furious. I can't believe it, right? My blood's boiling. My head's about to pop off. And all of a sudden, I take a deep breath and I have this shift. (sighs) Okay. So I'm freezing cold, but I have a sweater I can put on, right? I have a jacket I can wear. You know, I step on Lego. That's because I have a happy child playing in my home, right? I can afford Lego, Kinga. <laughs> that wasn't always the case. I, I, I'm spilling sugar because I'm making coffee because I'm up in the morning because I have a purpose in my life. I have a job to go to. You know, I have a job, man. That's, a, that's amazing. That's a miracle to me. And yeah, there's snow. There's snow everywhere. But you know what? I'm able-bodied. 
I'm able-bodied to shovel the snow. Not everyone's story, right? And then I think, my God, I have a driveway. I was homeless for a lot of my life. I have a driveway today. And I went, I had this complete alteration in my thinking, this complete shift in my thinking. And I'm thinking, man, am I ever blessed? You mm-hmm. know, and how did that, and how did that happen? Right. That happened from, from putting in a little work, put a little effort, right. You know, there was this brought to my attention a long time ago, you know, like if I have a toothache, I don't pray for the pain to go away. I got to get my butt to a dentist, right. I got to do a little work. I got to do take a little action in my life mm. in order to facilitate this kind of changes. And, you know, that's kind of where it started, you know, and, and just much like anything else in life, uh, once you have a taste of something good, right? At least for a guy like of my oak, <laughs> mm-hmm. I want more. I want more of that, right? I have this disease of more, so I'm like, I, I really liked how I felt that day. So of course, I, I started to, I, I doubled down on my gratitude list. I still do a gratitude list to this day, Kinga. Yeah. Beautiful. So yeah. I love, I love what you're saying about um, the action involved because I think a lot of people give up prematurely, but the fact that you were practicing that gratitude on a regular basis when you actually needed it, that resource Mm -hmm. was there. It was available because you created that pathway in your brain to think about, Oh, wait a second. But I know it just Mm -hmm. doesn't happen overnight. No, no. Well, much like, much like exercise, right? If I want, if I want abs, right? I can't go do a crunch on Thursday, four crunches on the Saturday and then five crunches the following Wednesday and expect to have results, right? I have to be disciplined. I have to be motivated to, and, and I have to put in some effort, right? And, uh, and that's kind of where I got to. But I think when you get to a lot of us, when we get to this point, you know, you know, if you're willing to do whatever it takes to get a, to get clean and sober, you should be willing to do whatever it takes to, to live a, a good life as a result. Right. And that's sort of where I found myself. So what would you tell our listeners if, you know, perhaps they're not necessarily in um, recovery from addiction, but maybe Mm -hmm. they're really struggling with depression um, Mm -hmm. or anxiety? What like what worked for you to keep that discipline to have that practice? Well, for me, I, I, I had to remind myself, um, no matter how good or bad I felt, I had to remind myself how desperate I felt at some point. I, I would tap into that feeling of like where I just mentioned about being willing to do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to have a little faith that the process was going to work. I really didn't know what I was getting into when I started practicing the list. As a matter of fact, there was many days, uh, Kinga, where I thought, well, this is a bunch of hoopla, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't make any sense. It wasn't until I had that experience on that day that made me realize, hey, wait a minute, there's something to this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, so if, it's, if it's depression or anxiety or any, anything that you're challenged with, um, if we're going to do something, we have to tap into the reason why, you know? And, and the reason why is because I, I truly want to feel better. And if mm-hmm. I truly want to feel better, then I'm going to have to put in a little bit of effort. You know, I didn't wake up one day when I was 14 years old and say, oh, God, I really hope that I, I grow up and I'm, I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic with, with different uh, disorders to challenge myself for the rest of my life. But that was the, that was the cards that were, were dealt to me. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not responsible for my addiction, but I'm most certainly responsible for my recovery. And I think we could, we could apply that to anything. Um, you know, if, if, if I know, you know, if I know that, 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 that there's a solution to my, to, to, to whatever's ailing me, if I know there's a solution, um, I can't sit there and just and accept the status quo anymore. If I want to feel better, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to tap into the reason why I want to feel better. Well, I want to feel better because I don't want to feel bad. Mm. I mean, isn't, isn't that the goal? I mean, my goal in life is to be happy. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I think that would be most people's goal. Well, you know, sometimes it's really difficult at the beginning. It's very difficult to see the sunlight through the mud, but I know the sunlight's there, mm-hmm. right? So I got to keep, I got to keep trudging through the mud until I get there, you know? But if I just say, okay, well, I'm just going to stay stuck in the mud. Well, then, then I, I have to figure out a reason why I'm okay with not finding the sunlight, right? Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, is I want, I want to be able to get to a place where it feels effortless, but it's not going to get to that place until I use some effort. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's sort of, and that's sort of where that that list came into effect. And that was just one tangent on the overall scheme of my recovery. Like I was a, there was a ton of re, a ton of different things that I that I applied it into my life, mm-hmm. and some and some of them were effective, and some of them weren't. Um, and I, and the only reason I would know they were effective is because I I actually noticed changes, right? right. And, and if if you know if you're like me, Kinga, you know. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't do so well a lot of times with just lip service. I need to have shifts in my, in my perception. I need to have shifts in my thinking. I need to be open-minded to try new things. I need to be willing to put effort into those things. And if I don't do these things, well, I'm probably going to stay stuck in the mud. Mm-hmm. I might know the sunlight's there, but I'm not going to put the effort out to get there. Right. I guess the real, the real thing is, is how bad do you want this thing? Mm. You know. So I'm I'm wondering if you're willing to share with listeners, because earlier on, as you were mentioning your story and how you've been in treatment five times, mm-hmm. um, what at what point did do you feel that shift happened where you were that honest with yourself to say, okay, you know, I don't want to do this anymore? When did kind of the scales tip? Okay, well, um, you know, look, I, I, I got in trouble with the law when I was really young and uh, and I put on a mask at, at an early age. And somewhere along the way, uh, I just didn't have any idea who I was. And so every time I tried to get clean and sober, I, I, I think uh, I was starting to peel back layers of that onion, you mm-hmm. know, take a mask off at a time, mm-hmm. um, even though I wasn't totally thrilled with what I was finding underneath. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was early on. And so, I mean, after, you know, I, I'll just be completely candid here uh in 2013 i i, I had a, a an attempt on my life that was uh that was a a, a very dark and, and desperate time in my life um and uh, i i came out of a coma and i remember thinking um you know actually i, I don't know if i was uh, uh relieved or angry but i remember thinking there's there's no way in the world there's no way in the world uh i'm ever going to drink or drug again and and within a month, I found myself washing my socks in that creek under a bridge in Oshawa, Ontario. And I, and I couldn't understand how I got there again. And every time I came out of treatment prior to that, I, I just kept having similar experiences of, of defeat. And, and so uh, I finally got to, uh, after that point, though, I did find myself in my last, my last kick at the can in treatment. Um, I learned a lot of truth about myself. Some of the counselors were brutally honest with me, which is what I need. Nobody co-signed my nonsense. I was told truth. I mean, I, I, I didn't like what I was hearing, mm-hmm. but I, I needed to hear what I was hearing. Um, at the time, uh, I didn't like the people that were telling me this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back, they were a big part of the reason why I'm sitting here alive today with a life today. I'm no longer just existing. I'm living. And, and, and that happened. Um, and so in 2016, um, uh, Halloween night, I'd already had my, my son taken to me and brought to foster care. And, uh, and I had to have a couple of clean urine screens in order to have supervised visitation and supervised visitation is not good for an egomaniac of my type. And, uh, I, I was, you know, I remember thinking, how could they do this to me? Mm-hmm. And, and it blows my mind when I hear those words come out of my mouth today because it was I was so selfish and self-seeking that it, that that even when they took my son 
uh, at the age of, uh, I guess he was four and a half at the time they took him off the child to, to, uh, to, to foster care. It was still about what they were doing to me, not about what I was doing to my son. And I didn't have this variable. I couldn't separate what was actually happening. And so, uh, along fast forward a few years, uh, uh, I managed, I, I managed to get one clean urine screen to have that supervised visitation. Then I convinced the courts to have my son back. So here I was on Halloween night, 2016, and I was uh, a couple doors down from my, from my apartment, but I was coming out of what was a, probably my thousandth blackout. Because I could never string together a day, let alone two days of sobriety. And I used to uh, detox so often that I would set, I, I stopped going to do it medically and safe. I would just do it, uh, at, you know, at the risk of my health and I would have many seizures. And, and so my son, my son, who was, uh, who was victimized at this point, you know, I basically say that I, I took him hostage in a way. Um, he helped me home. And I mean, when I say I was lost on my street, I meant geographically, because clearly I was not, I was mm-hmm. lost in many ways, but, yeah. but, and I can only laugh today because of the outcome of the, of this event, but, um, he helped me up the stairs and I was uh, getting prepared to, to detox like I normally would. And my son looked me in my face, um, in his beautiful little head. I can see it vividly today. You know, he said, uh, he goes, daddy, it makes me sad when you're sick. Now, I don't know why, but all my life, my mother had tried to love me back to health. All my exes, my, my sister, my brother-in-law, my, my father, my aunts, my uncles, the police, the psychiatrists, the, 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 the judges, uh, the teachers, you name it, everybody, my other children, you name it, uh, neighbors, old landlords, like everybody tried to tell me what I was doing to myself and what I was doing to them as a, as a result. And, and it was all just words, Kinga, just mm-hmm. words all the time. And, you know, I, I, I felt like I was, uh, I suffered from, I suffer from what I call terminal uniqueness, right? I thought I was different. I thought I was different, man. And, and I, and I just couldn't process what they were saying. And for whatever reason, when my son said that to me that day, I felt what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden I could feel what everybody had always said. It wasn't words anymore. It was a, it was a shift that I was talking about. Similar to the shift when I had that gratitude moment, similar to mm-hmm. many shifts I've had since that night, but I had a shift and I, I, I could see things from a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. And it was really powerful to me. And my son put his head on my chest and he started to cry. And, um, and then I, I remember tears streaming down my eyes as well. And, and we fell asleep like that. And, you know, the next morning comes and um, I knew I had to get, I knew I had to try something, man. I had to try something. And so, mm-hmm. so I, I got him dressed. Uh, uh, I put his shirt on inside out and backwards, I think. And I know I got him in a, in a taxi and I got him to his mom's and I found myself back in a, in a 12 step room and I was just ready. I was mm-hmm. just you know, they, they, they always talk about, you know, you know, when, when, when this, well, Bruce Lee says, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I was just like, I had, I had lost all fight, right. My back mm-hmm. wasn't against the wall anymore. My back was in Europe somewhere. Right. Like I was, there was nothing left. I, there was mm-hmm. nothing I had to tried. There was, there, there was, I, I, I was completely out of options. Um, I was 43 years old and I was just done. Uh, it was either, uh, you know, it was either live or die. And I had to make that decision, you know, do I want to live more than I want to die? And in that moment, um, you know, and, and then because of, as a result of the night before, I decided that I wanted to live more than I wanted to die. And I had to be able to now, um, you know, ask for that in the most incredibly uh, daunting four-letter word for a lot of us, I had asked for help. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I had to, and I had to be able to be gracious enough to accept the help. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know, but I think, I think I was, uh, what I like to say is I was beaten into a state of reasonableness, right? Like I, I was re- now ready to receive all the information that I'd been resisting before. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, like I know that when I was in, uh, when I was a child, I used to jump up on the monkey bars and. I would jump onto the first two bars and I would dangle there. And, and I know the objective with a monkey bar is to swing past the, the bar, grab on with one hand and then swing past that bar and grab the next bar. Mm-hmm. But what I would, what I would always do is grab the same bar. So both my hands are on one bar and then I would dangle there and kick my legs, not get any traction until I would fall. And I much feel like that was me all along until I finally just, I, 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 I took fear out of the equation, right? The delusion of fear, this illusion that, that, that somehow I was going to get hurt by trying to get, you know, recovery fully invested in my life. Somehow I was going to feel more pain, which as a result, there was some, but you know, that was me going through the mud, seeking for that same mud, that sunlight I was talking about earlier. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I would, and I would believe myself. Right. And, and I'll just share quickly. I, I know I'm, yeah, go ahead. I'm stealing a lot of the, the, the no, time. No, this here, is but, lovely. Thank you for sharing. Uh, no, no problem. I, um, you know, there's a, there was a guy, right. And he goes up to an elephant camp, right. And he sees these massive elephants, okay. King of massive. And, uh, and he's got this tiny little rope tied around his, his big elephant foot. And he's got the same little rickety rope tied to this rickety little tiny fence. And the guy's kind of bewildered. He's like, I don't, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Like why look at the size of that elephant. Why doesn't he just walk away? Mm-hmm. And uh he's so confused. And well the elephant trainer comes over and he says, uh, well, you see, with that elephant was a baby elephant. He had the same little rope tied around his foot, tied to the same rickety little fence, right? And he couldn't walk away. You know? So as he grew bigger, he was conditioned to believe that he was still stuck. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's and that's kind of where I felt like I was my entire life. I was that elephant. Right. And until I realized that it was simply a matter of making the decision, simply a matter of making a choice to do uh, to try and and try new things in order to enhance my opportunity at living a life that I deserve today. I had to start by taking a step away from that fence. Right. I had to start walking. And, uh, you know, and by staying stagnant, I wasn't ever going to get anywhere. And by believing that I couldn't change, that was going to hold me back. And Mm -hmm. those variables go all over the place. Right. But I mean, as a result of all that stuff, like I get to I get to have experiences like writing a gratitude list and then seeking out why my life is so good today. The truth is, I choose for it to be this good. Do mm-hmm. things happen? Do things happen? You better believe it. I'll tell you something else. I'll share something else with you if you got a minute. Please. Because um, this was uh, like, I was about 14 months sober and probably the biggest challenge I've had in sobriety was was burying my mother. You know, um, my mom, my mom was, was my, uh, was, was my heartbeat. Right. And, and, and it was devastating when I lost her. Um, and so of course, everyone in my circle, my family, everybody's so worried that I was going to go drinking or drugging or, you know, typically my behavior for what I would do on a Tuesday through Friday, Friday through Tuesday, you know, I didn't have to have such a catastrophic event in my life to, to get, to convince me to go drinking. But in such an event like this, there was, there was obvious and, and justifiable fears from my loved ones. But I, I found, uh, I found myself in St. John's, Newfoundland and I got to bury my, uh, my one year medallion in my mom's hand. Uh, she's holding it in St. John's, Newfoundland, the cemetery right now. Wow. And I remember, I remember I had this, this thing, this is all as a result of, cause I, like I mentioned, I still do gratitude lists. Right. So I, and these are even on the tough days, right? On the days that are really tough for me to do them, I would still do them. And so what happened was 
see, my mom uh, was 81 years old and uh, she had uh, 11 siblings. They'd all been buried. Her parents were buried. My mom had just done a World War II tour with my father and that was on her bucket list and she did it healthy. Um, my sister uh, had just gotten a nice secure job with her in her profession that she was worried about. My niece had been doing well. Um, you know, my brother-in-law had successful surgery. Uh, my father just beat prostate cancer and all these things were coming to my mind. And I remember, I remember thinking, you know, and my mom wasn't sick. It was very sudden. Mm -hmm. And I remember, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, she had no regrets. She was done. And, and I've, I, I had this enormous sense of, and this is going to sound bizarre, but I, I, I felt gratitude in that moment. I felt grateful the day that I'm burying my mother, but I felt grateful that, that I couldn't think of a single regret that she was leaving on this earth. I couldn't, think of a more, I couldn't think of a more poetic way to say goodbye. With her husband of 55 years at her side and all these things. And now, listen, I'm not sitting here telling you that I don't miss my mother. I miss her dearly, um, you know, and I have good and bad days. But I, I, what I, the reason I share that is that if it wasn't for practicing gratitude in my life today, I could have very easily slipped down a very slippery slope of the poor me's into a depression. And as a result, my typical MO would be to pick up a drink, which would lead me to cocaine and who knows where else, mm -hmm. you know. And, and because of practicing one uh, facet of my recovery so diligently, it's allowed me to take these catastrophic events in my life and view them differently. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, Kinga, I think we've met uh, three or four times now, and I could probably, uh, if I was to ask you honestly, you probably see me smiling and, and uh, most of the time. And every you know, time, that's, that's every time, right? I'm I love high. when you walk in the office. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm real. I'm, I'm genuinely. I'm genuinely grateful for my life today. You know, as simple as that sounds, it's so real. Like I'm genuinely, I say thank you when I wake up, you know, because I know that's not everybody's story today. Not everybody woke up today. Not everybody's mm -hmm. going to wake up tomorrow. You know, I know exactly. this. And so I don't take it for granted. You know, uh, you know, I do like to, to live and remain where my feet are at, right? I do like to be in that moment, in that present moment, you know, between my thought and my actions so I can continue to, 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 be appreciative for the things that I have and not focus on the things that I want, you know, be focused on the things that, you know, sure there's things I feel like I need, but those are just things. Cause that was the other aspect of it. And I hate to keep circling back to, okay. I don't want to talk about grief, but you know, I remember looking around mom's house the next day and I'm looking at all her stuff. And I thought, well, this is just stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just stuff. Like it mattered to mom, but it's just stuff. And then I, I heard a guy say, well, the first thing he said was, there's no problem in the world that a good stiff drink can't make worse. And I, and I loved him for that. Um, but then I, he goes on to say, we were talking about this. And I remember talking about the stuff. And I remember talking about, um, you know, I have one life to live, you know, and how do I want to live it? You know, I have, I have some choices I got to make today. And in that moment, he said something that has forever changed my thinking as well. He said, the only thing we take with us when we die is what we leave behind. Boom. Right. I had this incredibly moment. I'm like, yeah. So the interactions I have with people, the way I view myself is how going to be a reflection on how you view me. Right. Mm -hmm. All these things are intertwined. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I and if I love my life, my life today, and if I'm grateful for the life and, that I've been given an opportunity and, and blessed with an opportunity to have today. Well, it, it, I don't, I don't shun from that. I embrace it and I scream it from the mountaintops, you know, and I feel like the, the, the dark, desperate 
despair, that whole journey that brought me to this point, um, I, I feel like it's it's allowed me to have this appreciation and gratitude at, at, at next level because I, I it, because today I remember you know hearing when I was a child you know stop and smell the roses and treat others how you want to be treated right we all heard some of these things and 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 today I do right today I, I do stop and smell the roses today I do um, catch myself smiling at a cow in a field right <laughs> like these bizarre things things that I that I never in a million years would have even noticed right like a sunset or you know a, a flower blooming right um, these aren't things that I, I I've ever noticed before so. Um, you know, a combination of different uh, things that I put into play in my life has given me this opportunity to view the world differently, right? A complete alteration in my thinking. The truth is, Kinga, if you ask anybody who knew me five years ago, anybody, especially mm-hmm. my family, who still looks at me on occasion and goes, who are you? <laughs> right. Um, if you, if you ask people, uh, most of my ex-wives are, uh, you know, and yeah, that should qualify me. <laughs> but the, the truth is, is, is if you ask anyone that knew me, they, they, it, it, the change is the transformation is, um, out, astounding. Like it's, it's night and day. And I, I can say that honestly, because I've not only do, do I see the, the results, um, mm-hmm. outward inward, but I can feel it. Absolutely. I feel it, you know? You, yeah. And my my experience with you is a presence of appreciation and gratitude. 100%. Nice. That's why I was so grateful <laughs> that you said yes to joining um, the podcast, because I think sometimes there is this misconception of, uh, you know, being positive and toxic positivity. Mm. Right. But I, what I hearing you saying is it's not that you ignored the negative things in your life. You still dealt with your grief. You still mm-hmm. dealt with your pain, but amidst all of that, you chose to still focus on those things that you can appreciate and have gratitude for. And as you did that, the stronger that muscle became and that skill became. When it, mm-hmm. And because you chose to practice it regularly, you became responsible for that aspect of yourself, amongst other yeah. things. But I know gratitude mm-hmm. is our focus today. Um, and then it was there for you when you really needed it, like when your mother passed away. So yes. it's just beautiful. Like what a testament to the work that you are. Like it really is so beautiful. And I, like you have no idea my appreciation for you being on here because if one person listens to this and you inspire one person, you changed one person's life. And like you said, that ripples. Uh, thank you, Kinga. Thank you. I just, I'll just share before we close out, I just share about that the starfish story. Right. And that was the whole principle behind that. It's funny. You said that that one person, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a little boy walking along the beach and uh, you know, and, and there's a, there's an older gentleman. He sees from a distance, he sees this little boy and he's picking up something and he's throwing it in the ocean. And he walks over to the boy and says, son, what are you doing? And then the boy says, well, look around, you know, the tide washed in all these starfish and the tide went back out and now they're going to die. And, and and so the man looks around, he says, son, there's, there's, there's thousands of them, mm-hmm. you know, surely you can't save them all. Right. Mm-hmm. And the little boy pick, reaches down, he picks up a starfish and he throws it into the ocean. He goes, yeah, well, I made a difference in that one's life. Right. And Beautiful. if we can just, uh, if we can just, you know, throw one starfish back into the ocean at a time, then, you know, then, then, then all right, you know, I'll take it, you know. Beautiful story. And one more thing, just to wrap up, um, you said that you weren't responsible for your addiction and just like people aren't responsible for the house that they're, you know, brought up in or mm-hmm. diseases they might have. 
um, or trauma that happens to them. But like you said, mm -hmm. you're responsible for your recovery. And that That's is true. my whole kind of intention behind this podcast, Owning Your Recovery, is to take that responsibility and to make that choice to move forward. So thank you again from the bottom of my heart so much Excellent. for you being part of this. <laughs> no, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I was excited when you asked me. Uh, anytime I can do anything to help, if, uh, just reach out. Absolutely. I'm here. Oh, I will, because I have so many other <laughs> questions I want to pick your brain about. So you'll be All hearing right. from me. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Anytime. Thanks again, Jay. Oh, and make sure those listening to check out your podcast. Do you want, oh, yeah, do you want me, to yeah, share how they can find it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and also my website. Um, mm -hmm. So Relating, Relating Recovery ended up becoming a little grassroots movement in Southern Ontario. Uh, we're, we're designed to help uh, provide connection and hope. We've been uh, uh, working hard at doing that since 2019. We've done a lot of community events. We've had uh, local politicians involved. Um, uh, uh, we've been uh, um, uh, mentioned uh, by Lisa Laflamme uh, uh, on Global News. Uh, we've been, it's just, it's really grown into this thing, right? And that that wasn't the intention, but it's turned into this thing that really grew legs during COVID. Um, and we've had uh, uh, talent shows and uh, we've raised over uh, $10,000 recently for a treatment center out in uh, at Brooklyn uh, doing a walkathon, the Road to Recovery walkathon. We've done, um, we've had, uh, We've just connected uh, thousands, thousands of people. And uh, so we have a website that is a link to our to our podcast, Relating in Recovery. It's on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple, uh, Google, uh, Alexa, et cetera. Um, it's on the, the website is www.relatinginrecovery.com. Uh, we have a, a, a little clothing line there. Um, every 100% of the proceeds go back into the recovery community. Um, we got a ton of stuff on there. There's writ blogs. There's resources for uh, for days. There's resources for mm -hmm. days for everything from from medical detox to treatment centers all over Ontario. Um, yeah, go there's uh, go check it out, and there might be something in there that you can uh, you might find useful. Thanks again, Jay, and thanks again, listeners, for joining us today. Yeah, stay grateful. <laughs> thanks. Stay grateful. <laughs>